Well, let me ask you today if you ever find it hard to pray. That's a question that I can ask, and I probably know the answer to that question for the great majority of you, for the great majority of us today. Because we know that so often the mind can wander, and it can be hard to concentrate even when we do want to pray. Think sometimes of situations that are really difficult, the kind of things that we really do want to seek God's will for. Sometimes those are some of the situations where it's hardest to know even what you should pray and ask God to do. Or what about some of the missionaries that you support here? What do you pray for them? Often we get the prayer cards, we get the prayer emails. What should you ask beyond the few things that are listed there by way of bullet points? And what about your minister? What do you need to pray for him? What could he possibly need that you would need to ask God for? What should we pray? How do we go about making our prayers to God more meaningful and prayers of real engagement? Well, today I want us to look at these verses in Colossians 1, especially verses 9 to 14, to learn from what really is a model prayer for us. It's a prayer that you can pray for all Christians. Paul had never actually visited these Christians in Colossae. This wasn't one of the churches that he had planted. So, he doesn't know many of the people here firsthand, and that means that it provides us with an insight of the sorts of things that the apostle thinks it is important to be praying for all Christians, for all believers. It's a lovely little prayer in verses 9 to 14 because it shows us what really was on Paul's heart, what he prays. It shows us what he really desires because when you pray, you're expressing what really matters to you. Isn't that true? I wonder, have you picked that up on occasion? Have you listened to the way that someone prays? Because you know that when they pray, it really gives you an insight into what is most important to them. And also, by mention of the things that they don't pray about, the things that are less important to them. We can learn here from Paul's attitude, because his passion for these people means that he is persistent in prayer. But as well as just Paul being enthusiastic about praying for them, this is a great model for us because he gives us the actual content of prayer. And my goal here is that we would understand something more about what we can actually include in our prayers, in your prayers, using these few verses as an example. So, just a few simple little questions to help us break into the passage. And the first one is this. It couldn't be any more straightforward. Just what does Paul pray? What is his request? What does he go to God and ask him to do? We've already got a sense of that from what I sent to the children in verse 9, because in many ways, this little prayer is very straightforward. This is a prayer that Christians would be filled up with a knowledge of God's will. Now, let's pause for a second there, because often when we talk about knowing God's will, 
we're talking about something to do with personal guidance. It might be a young adult who's looking for guidance about a particular relationship. It's maybe someone else who's seeking God's will because they're contemplating a change of career. It might be parents who have got choices to make about their children's education, and they want to know, what would God have me to do here? What is His will? Now, God is, of course, concerned about all those things that I've just mentioned, things to do with our relationships, employment, and our family life. But here in Colossians 1, when Paul prays, Lord, fill them up with the knowledge of your will, he's writing about something much more basic and fundamental than simply providing us with the answers that we need some to some particularly taxing questions that are in front of us. When he prays about knowing God's will, he is thinking about something big and basic. If we were to read on further into chapter 1, we would get a sense of what that was. Because there in verses 18 to 22, Paul is talking about God's will in terms of God's plans for the entire universe. God's will is that big. It is that comprehensive. It includes all things in heaven and on earth. And God's plan, God's will, is to bring everything together under the rule of Jesus Christ. God's will, God's purpose, God's plan for the world is to mend everything that is broken because of sin and to bring about peace and justice. That's God's great purpose. That is the goal towards which all of history is being guided and directed. So, what does Paul pray? What does he mean by praying, Lord, fill them up with the knowledge of your will? Well, his request is that believers would know and understand God's great redemptive purposes for this world. He's praying that that perception of reality would grow in us in an ever-increasing way. He's praying that the wonders of God's grace all those things that we've been singing about today in our worship, that those things would increasingly dawn upon us, that they would come and impress themselves upon us, that we would be aware that in Jesus Christ, through faith in Him, we are adopted into God's family, we're His children, that we've been rescued and redeemed because of what Jesus has done. We've been given a new heavenly inheritance. We've been brought into fellowship with other believers in the church. And those things, those great truths about God's purposes for the entire world, those are things that only God can really bring home to us. It's true, isn't it? You know, like people can be sitting in the pew beside others, and the truth and reality of things can be really gripping one person, and it's almost as if they can just be washing over someone else. It's because only God can really imprint these things into our minds and into our hearts. Naturally, we go through life, and we're caught up in our own lives. 
We're caught up in the stories of me and my life and my family and my job. And here Paul is praying that we would not be absorbed in our own little story, building our own little kingdom in this world, but instead we would be caught up with God's great story for the world, that we would see our place in it, that we wouldn't be going through life with our heads just down in front of us, looking at the things in our own immediate circumstances, the things that are filling our diaries for tomorrow and the week ahead. Paul's praying that God would lift up our gaze so that we look out from beyond our own circumstances and we see the great things that God is doing in history and how we fit into that great story of salvation and the reality of God's kingdom. He prays that we would see this. Now, sight's a good illustration for us, isn't it? Because there will be many of us here today who know what it's like to be completely lost without your spectacles or your contact lenses. I've short sight, um, well, a little bit of long sight now with the years as well, but for most of my life, I've lived with short sight, which means that if I don't have my glasses, I can see things that are going on right in front of my nose really pretty well. But when it comes to anything further afield, all it is is really nothing more than a blur. And then you go to the optician who does for you the thing that you cannot do for yourself. They give you the glasses, you put them on, and suddenly you see everything differently. You see things far off that you never noticed beforehand because they were only ever a blur. Well, if you know that experience, if that's something that you can empathize with, Paul's praying that you would have that kind of experience in the spiritual sphere, that those things at the moment, which seem at times just a little bit blurry and hazy and far off, and you can't see them that clearly, Paul's praying that God would cause us to see those things with 20-20 vision, that they would grip us and really change the way that we live in the present. Lord, fill these people up with a knowledge of your will. May the gospel grip them more and more. Would you change them from the inside out by the things which they now see. The gospel's really powerful to do that. It's powerful to change and transform our lives. It can change your life. It can continue to change and transform your life. It can turn the whole way that you think about this world upside down. Because God's plan is not that you would go through life thinking somehow or other, where does God fit into my life? as though my life somehow or other was the ultimate thing. Instead, he's praying that we would be going through life thinking, how does my life and my circumstances fit into God's great plan? God doesn't want us to be asking, oh, I wish I could see how the Bible fits into my life. Rather, he wants us to ask, how does my life fit into the great things that the Bible speaks of? Not I wonder what mission God has for me, but rather, what me does God need for His great mission? How we fit in um, to the great plans that God has for this world. 
rather than somehow or other thinking about how God might fit in to just a little bit of our plans. So, Lord, work within them. Fill them up with a knowledge of your will. Here's the second question. We've thought about what Paul prays. Why does he pray this? What's he really want to come about as a result of this prayer? Lord, fill them up with the knowledge of your will. Well, if you look at the verses, you'll see in verse 10 that we are given the purpose behind the prayer. He wants us to know God's will so that we would know how to please the Lord Jesus, so that we would be able to live a life worthy of Him. Knowing God's will is essential if we're to do that. It's the point that I was trying to make to the children. You need to know what someone wants if you're going to be able to please them. Good intentions are not enough. Presumption of what we think would be God's will is not enough. If we really want to please our Father in heaven, we need to know His will. We need to know what He wants and what He desires. Because when we know God's will, then we'll be able to think and act and speak in a way which pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll know what ways of life, what kind of conversation, what sort of attitude is appropriate if we're to please Him. We'll know the things which would be worthy of Him. In thought, word, and deed, we need to be asking ourselves day by day, what would Jesus have me do? What way would He want me to speak in this situation? How would He want me to act? How would He want me to conduct myself in order that I would please Him most? Now, let's step back from this a second and think about how it might change the things that we pray about, because we all know that so often our prayers become something like shopping lists. Sometimes they become troubleshooting lists. But if we took on board what Paul's told us here, it could really ratchet up the way that we pray to a whole new level. Let's think about the elders in this congregation. We could pray for them. Lord, please would you so teach them your will so that all their plans are in line and in tune with the purposes of your kingdom? Or think about some of those missionaries that you might pray for. We know that the work that they're often engaged in is difficult and demanding. The temptation to be discouraged must be massive. Lord, would you work within them so that they are fully persuaded that you are a God who is in the business of rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of the Son whom you love. Or maybe trying to pray for someone who you know who's struggling at the moment. Lord, open their eyes. Give them sight of those visions which lie ahead. Give them a hope that one day you will restore all things. And with that, enable them to persevere even when the trial is really hard. Pray that God would transform your outlook and transform the outlook of people that you are praying for. Lord, teach us your will so that we know how to please you. 
let's move on and bring things towards a conclusion as we think about our third question, and it's simply this. What would the prayer look like when God answered it? If you prayed, Lord, fill them with your will, fill them with your will so that they'd know how to please you, what does that actually look like in someone's life when God answers that prayer? And in verses 10 to 12, we get four just little pen sketches of what that looks like. We can think about them really quickly. The first one is this. When God answers this prayer, Christians will bear fruit. They'll bear fruit in every good work. Now, out here this morning, there are bound to be some farmers. There are bound to be some keen gardeners, people who know what it's like when you get a real harvest, whether it's just something that you're growing in a pot at home or whether it's something that you're growing in a big field. When you get a real harvest, there's something about it which warms the soul. When this prayer is answered, Christians are going to bear a great harvest in their lives. They're going to bear a harvest in the fruit of righteousness. They're going to bear a harvest in family life and work life in their involvement in the local church. When God answers this prayer, Christians will become fruitful Christians. There will be a bumper crop of fruit to God in their lives. Here's the next little sketch of what it would look like in your life or someone else's life when God answers this prayer. It's in verse 10. You'll grow in your knowledge of God. So can you see how the whole thing is almost self-perpetuating here, how the whole thing almost spirals upwards because you need to know God's will, you need to know who God is so that you can please him. And then as you please him, then you can get to know more of his will. And so the whole thing goes on. Christians will be knowing God's will, his plans, his purposes. They will be growing in their knowledge of God. There'll be no sense that, well, I know enough about God now to do me. I've learned the basics. I know the fundamentals. I'm fine with those things. I know the main things that I need to be aware of. Paul would not be satisfied with that. He wants all Christians to be growing Christians, and he wants them to be growing in their minds. He wants them to know God better this year than they knew God the year before. When God answers this prayer, Christians are fruitful, and Christians know God better. Here's a third thing in verse 11. When this prayer is answered, Christians are strengthened to endure and to be patient. When God works within Christians answering this prayer, he empowers them to show real stamina and fortitude. At one level, it doesn't sound very spectacular. Praying that God would work powerfully within people so that they would have endurance and patience. But so often in, those, in this life, those are the things that all of us really need. The Christian life is not easy. It's not easy because of the pain of living in a fallen world. It's not easy because of sickness, bereavement, family difficulties and financial challenges. It's not easy in our world trying to swim against the stream of the culture. The things that Paul prays for here are things that we really need. Endurance, stamina.
stamina, great patience. And then the last thing, the final little sketch of what this would look like when God answered this prayer, and it's simply this, when this prayer is answered, Christians are full of joy. And it's the source of the joy, well, we're told in the rest of verses 12 and 13, the source of that joy is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God is the one who comes to people who are held in the grip of a tyrant. They're trapped. They're held in the darkness. There's no way out. And then God sends a rescuer. He sends a redeemer. He sends his own son, Jesus Christ, who rescues and delivers and brings out of darkness into his light and into his family. If anyone was a recipient of that, wouldn't there be joy in their lives? Wouldn't they be full of gratitude? They've been rescued out of darkness. They have brought, been brought out into the light and they've been brought into God's family. That was anyone's experience. Well, for sure, there would be joy and gratitude and thankfulness. It would overflow. So, something for all of us something to add to our prayers, whether you're praying for yourself, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your minister, your elders, missionaries, or other people. Here's something that Paul says is a great prayer for all of them. Lord, fill them up with a knowledge of your will. May they really understand the gospel. May they see things clearly spiritually so that they know how to please you day by day. Lord, in my life, in their lives, produce a harvest, a harvest of righteousness. Cause us to grow in our knowledge of God. Give us endurance. Give us patience. And give us this great joy that is striking the people as they look on you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need to seek you now and ask you to do the very things that we've just been thinking about. Lord, transform our vision. Where there are things which previously have seemed blurry and fuzzy to us, help us to leave here this morning seeing them much more clearly. And may the reality of those things really grip us in our hearts. And as the gospel lays hold of us, please would we be resolved that we would go out and live lives that are worthy of Jesus Christ. Please may we please him by acting in accordance with his will. Lord, produce a harvest here. Produce a harvest of conversion and a harvest of spiritual growth. Please may people grow in their knowledge of God. May the truth of the gospel really transform. Lord, give those gifts, especially to those who need them most, endurance and patience. And Lord, for all of us, send us out from here this day rejoicing.